Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and uh, and there's no rest for the wary. It, it seems like yesterday that uh, we finally finished a grueling season. The Penguins hoisted the cup, and pretty much as soon as that took place, everyone just instantly turned their attention to the off season. And and we'll definitely do some stuff later in the week on free agency and and other transactions we've already seen take place in terms of trades and stuff like that. But for our purposes here today, we'll uh, we'll be focusing on on what very well may be the uh, the single funnest 24 hours of the season. I, I'm sure the guy I have on the line agrees with me it's uh it's cory Pryman. cory what's going on man i'm doing well fun is an interesting way to describe it but yes it's <laughs> going to be a very interesting week, uh, weekend in buffalo yes it's uh i'm sure it's a little stressful for you you know what i was i was thinking i was watching the uh the mlb draft or following along with it online uh last week i think it was and, and i was thinking just wondering would your head explode if if the nhl draft was in season like that Probably not. Actually, my busiest time of season is actually right after the draft ends because uh, we at ESPN do a lot of focus on the drafted guys. So my vacation probably starts right around the middle, middle end of August mm. once we have all our top 10 by teams and top 100 drafted and farm systems. And we might even this year go back and reevaluate past draft classes and update any assessments we had. So uh, that's my my busiest end of the season is probably like really the first second week of August, um, but you know it's just still be a, still be a fun uh, time and. Uh it's obviously still going to be pretty busy regardless. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Okay, well, let's get right into it because I, I feel like there's like a big mountain of a big pile of things I'd like to run by you while, while I have your ear. So I think the obvious place to start is at the top of this year's draft board where I think you did something that a lot of people have been whisper, whispering about and it's been gaining traction, but no one's actually really had the uh, the gumption or the intestinal fortitude to pull the trigger on it. And it's it's putting line A over Matthews at number one. So um, I guess this is just a good time to, I, you, I know you've written about it length but people that haven't checked it out yet maybe uh you can kind of explain your uh your keynotes version for why you you like line over matthews well i, I mean you can describe it how you want i don't look at it as you know requiring you know testicular, testicular fortitude to put a, a player <laughs> ranking uh, i i go through the same process with every single player and whatever the process dictates is where they end up on the board when you rank them relative to each other 
uh, it just so happened that he was there, and because of uh, I knew that the media uh, traction they would t- get, and more importantly, the potential negative feedback. I did write a lengthy article discussing uh, the, the rationale, going through the relative merits, and I'll kind of hit on the bullet points here. I obviously elaborated on a little more detail in the columns. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing, and I think this is the, the real starting point that people have to understand, um, is that. There are a few things about Line A that I that that I think are very important. One, this is not something that just happened last month. This is not something that happened at the World Championships or in the finish league playoffs. Mm-hmm. You know, if you know, if if somebody felt like that was the the basis for my for my reasoning, uh, that is completely incorrect. You know. I, this is a based on an evaluation process that spanned a couple of years. You know, Patrick Lyon didn't just come onto the radar this season. He's been a top, top name in, in the ranks for a few years. And I didn't have him, you know, in the top three at the beginning of the season because there were some things I was worried about. But he was you know, incredibly impressive last spring of the entertainment tournament. You know, incredibly impressive throughout the entire season in the Finnish Liga. Incredibly impressive with the World Juniors. Incredibly impressive at the, at the World Championships and in the Finnish League playoffs where you know, he was the MVP of the playoffs and the MVP of the World Championships. Mm-hmm. I thought the, the Finnish League MVP was more reasonable than the World Championships MVP, but that's not really the issue. The point being is that he's played at an extremely high level for a very long period of time. Um, so I, you know, I absolutely thought, you know, even before the World Championships, he was in that discussion. Mm-hmm. And I was even leaning towards that way, but I wasn't 100% sure at the time. Um, the other thing, and we can talk this as more of a statistical thing, is that age matters. Right. And I don't want to get too um, focused in on that uh, because it takes away from the relative merits of the actual player's tools, and we'll get into that in a second. But just, you know, if you look over a very long period of time and over a significant data set, you will see that, you know, birth date matters in a significant way particularly when guys are very, very young. The difference between a 15, a 16, a 17, an 18, and 19-year-old, whether it's a major junior, professional hockey, college ranks, it's significant. Sometimes you'll see a guy who won't make big jumps in the CHL from 18 to 19, but in general, across most leagues in hockey, that is different. And you know, Patrick Line is uh, April 98. Mm-hmm. Matthews, I believe, is a September 97. That in your head would, you know, that's a seven month difference, but it's also a one season difference. Matthews right. has a whole full extra season of playing experience. Uh, his uh, eight seventeen year old season was last season when he was with the NTVP, which has players for the 16 and 17 year old seasons, whereas this was Line A's full 17 year old season mm-hmm. uh, playing in the league. And again, you don't want to get too deep on that, but just you've got to have that in context when you're going forward. So it's not just. It's just not it's not just uh, different than how long you've been applied for, but it's about how much playing experience you have playing hockey and the long uh, history of prospects they say that makes a difference. Now, focusing on the actual evaluation points of the players, mm-hmm. uh, there are definitely some things that Matthews does better. I think you know his his puck skills are among the very best I've seen in a player that age. Like he's in, especially when you consider his size. I mean, I've seen. You know him makes so many wow caliber plays and just and make he makes it look so easy. Yeah, incredibly fun player to watch. Whether it's Winnipeg or Toronto or wherever he ends up, if some crazy trade scenario happens, you know he's and he's most likely going to be Toronto. They're going to love him just for just how fun of a player he is to watch. 
and you know he also has you know he skates well and he has good sides. But for me, line A, um, you know everything. Everybody's going to point to the shot, which is very which is true. He has a, he has a significantly better shot. Even though I would probably say Matthews grades at high end too. But for me, he does other things a lot better too. I think he wins more battles. Um, I think he is a smarter player. I think. And smarter is probably something I should be defining because hockey sense is a very broad and complex term. Mm-hmm. I think that um, Matthew's probably a little more creative with the puck and, and moves it around a little, maybe a little bit better. But uh, Line A uh, just seems to be so far advanced for a player his age in terms of how he understands the game, gets himself into positions, finds ways to create scoring chances. Uh, you know, when you saw a guy at the World Championships like he was, who was being trusted on that first power play unit of a team that went, you know, as far as Finland did for a 17-year-old. It was just remarkable. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't the plays that he was making where it was just like all highlight reel plays up and right, but, you know, that pace is significantly faster than just about any major junior player would ever be able to get used to just because the pro defense that closed on you that much quicker, you have, you have so little time to make those decisions, and he was moving the puck around fine. It's not like he didn't make, didn't make any mistakes, but for him to be at that pace and be playing that well for a guy his age speaks to just how quickly he processes the game, and it gives you evidence, not conclusive, but good evidence, that you know he's going to keep absorbing things and keep progressing at a significant pace, because guys don't play like he has at these levels without being incredibly smart. And he just strikes me as a guy from when I've, when I've, when I've talked to him and from just following him for years as a guy who I think he's going to pick up the NHL game very quickly. Mm. Okay, well, I have one question there. that You, you mentioned the hockey sense, and I have, I've wanted to long ask you about this because uh, it's a term that's thrown around a lot in scouting and player evaluation, and I'm wondering, like, how would you define that? Is it just one of those things that you sort of know it when you see it? Like, is it like a positional awareness thing, and the guy just seems to always be at the right place at the right time, and he's thinking the game may be faster than other guys? Or how would you define the term hockey sense? It's a combination of intelligence and reaction time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you still you need to be bright enough to understand how to basically make certain kind of plays, how how the lanes open, how to how to angle out guys, where you need to be, uh, what's the right decision in the situation, and then there's reflex time when you only have half a second to make the decision. How quickly do your hands move and react to what your brain is telling you? Mm. So that is a little bit of a combination. Now, there are multiple variants of hockey sense. You could be a smart goal scorer. You could be a smart playmaker. You could be a smart defensive player. Uh, those are all things that have varying attributes to it, but it all adds up to the core element of whether you get the game, whether you do you understand the game. And uh, you'll see, um, I think when people think of hockey sense, they traditionally think of playmakers. They think of guys you know, like, like Nick Bastrom and, and Pavel Datsuk. But I would say guys like Ovechkin, guys like... Kessel are very, very smart players, but because they have elite shots, they play a different kind. They use their hockey sense in a very different way. And that's what Line A does too, is that he is a very, very smart player, but he takes a lot more shots because he knows he's, his shot is, is a weapon. Mm-hmm. But, he, but, but like Ovechkin and like Kessel, you'll see him make plays as well. Very good, very creative passes, very very uh, good and tight plays, doesn't take the shots when it's not there, although with Ovechkin it's a little different. But uh, in general, you, know, you, you won't see him forcing a lot of dumb plays. And those guys are all very, very smart players, but their hockey sense 
comes out in different ways than it would for, you say, you know, one of those elite passers. Right. And and so you put together this handy little scouting table of, you know, prototypical 20 to 80 rankings for tools for some of these top forward prospects in recent years. And the thing that stuck out to me was that you had Line as, as a 50 rating skater. And, and I guess uh, a little bit of that hockey sense just kind of alleviates some of those concerns and, and seeing him play against those faster defensemen that are reading the play faster. And he, he looked perfectly fine. Like you're not worried about that skating at the NHL level. Well, everybody has a, has a weakness. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's a it's, I mean, it's not ideal, but right. you, it's a, you know, it's not like I look. It's not like you don't go through a player rating and say one guy is it sucks at one thing and therefore he sucks as a player. It's a, it's a you balance the scales. I mean, obviously, you know, everyone the most famous one would be JT, who wasn't that, that great a skater. Yes. Uh, yeah, and obviously, I wouldn't. And there's you know, you can, you can just keep going through the years. Uh, Nugent Hawkins had a scrawny frame. Yakupov was small. Ekblad wasn't a dynamic puck mover. McKinnon wasn't an elite passer. Uh, Druin couldn't play defense. He was kind of scrawny. And that obviously was an issue in those first few years, but now it's not as much of an issue. Barkov mm-hmm. uh, was a bad skater, too, and that doesn't seem to be as much of a problem nowadays. And even though he's still not a great skater, Granlin wasn't, inc- wasn't incredibly quick, and he still found a way... Fowler was criticized defensively, and like I can keep going on right. and on and on and on. <laughs> you, you know, you have to balance the scale, and that's why you know you look at the other ratings. You look at the physical game, you look at the shot, you look at the skill, you look at the hockey sense, and those all get high, if not incredibly high grades. And you say, yeah, he's kind of a, a bad skater, but then you balance it against Matthews, and Matthews has some very good things. I don't think he has a singular weakness. Like Line A does, maybe he's not a bump and grind kind of guy, but I wouldn't say it's a standout weakness. Right. Uh, but I probably wouldn't say he has as many elite attributes. Although, as I aforementioned, I think there are still some very good attributes. I think his hands are elite. I think some other parts of his game, his, his vision, uh, his shot are high end. But you got to kind of, you know, this is where it gets kind of the nitty gritty of player evaluation. Mm. Yeah. Now I have to now I have to differentiate between what's what's high end, what's elite, what's very good, what's <laughs> good, what's what's solid. But that's what I do. Right. But it's hard, I guess, to um, and if you go to that comic through twenty eighty grade, that's what I show you. But when you do when you know in the spoken words on Twitter or or in, in you know in just in, the, in regular conversation, it's hard to relay what those degrees are. But that's basically what it comes down to: is the degrees, not that either of them aren't both incredibly good. Yeah. And I mean, I guess that's, that's a good way to put it. Both guys are incredibly good. You can't really go wrong with either one. It's, it's sort of personal preference. And then obviously I think everyone kind of is in agreement that there's that top three with Pugliarvi being the third guy in that tier. And then after that, I think where it really gets interesting in the draft is what the Oilers do at number four, because I'm kind of curious what you think. How, how big of a drop off in quality is there between Pugliarvi and then someone to be available at four, whether it's, I know you like Keller there, but whether it's Kachuk or Dubois, like like is it is it quite a bit of a drop off, or do you think those guys are, are relatively comparable players? Uh, no, there's a significant drop off. I did a recent column uh, ranking the top thirty prospects of the last five years when they were draft eligible. Meaning, I what, that includes those three, and you know, Ekblad and McKinnon and Yakupov, et cetera, et cetera. Rating them all from the perspective of when they were draft prospects. Mm-hmm. And I think I had the close top three, uh, Matthews, Lonnie, Pugliarvi, all in the top ten of the last five years, um, which is, you know, 
it really goes to show that even though I think this draft class is kind of average, uh, that top end is certainly above average. And that's why I like doing that kind of column to illustrate to the reader exactly what the degrees of of caliber of those very top prospects are. And I would say I don't think, you know, Clinton Keller and Matthew Kachuk were both in that column, but just not as high as those other players I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think you see you have three guys who are legitimate star level prospects. I mean, Pooley Yarby uh, was the MVP of the World Juniors, and I think he was the leading scorer. I think he had this second best uh, scoring totals by a, a first year draft eligible who wasn't a late birth date since Yager, I want to say. Mm-hmm. I think that either Yager or Lindros was one of those two. Mm-hmm. Um, but and he was obviously incredible last season, too. One of the best 16 year performances I've ever seen at the World Juniors ever. Um, he was very good in the, in the league as a 17 year old. It wasn't as great as Lion A, maybe more comparable to the Grandlin years. Um, maybe not as good as Bar, you know, as good offensively as Barkov, but Barkov was a lot better defensively. Right. So, but I mean, you didn't have this. Compl- and then he was. Then when he went, when I went to go see him at North Dakota, uh, you know, he was the best forward at that U18 tournament. It's just you know, and he's an incredible player. A guy I think has star level potential. I think you could put him there with some of the lesser number ones guys like Nugent Hawkins and Yakupov of past years. Uh, you know, he's a very very good player. Uh, and it's not to say that Clinton Keller and Kachuk aren't very good, but I just don't think they have that same level of startable potential as those three big names. Right. So from the Oilers' perspective, though, the thing that's interesting to me is you basically have three options, right? You can just take one of your favorites from that group, whether it's for you to be Keller or if they like Kachuk, or, and just hope sort of everything falls uh, into uh, place. Yep. They're, not, they're not taking Keller. Yeah, they're not going to take Keller? Yeah, you, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, my, my, I think for them it's between... Um, Chuck Dubois mm. or Brown. Right. If I have to basically make a guess on where they were on what they were debating right now, mm. and from just being around the rings and taking in Gander, I would I think they're on Kachuk. But if that's not you know hundred percent or anything, but that would, that would be my best guess right now. Mm. So, but wouldn't wouldn't the logical move for them be? Um, you know, if they're not necessarily in love with one of those guys to potentially move down a handful of spots and then take one of those defensemen that they like at a better value point. Like, I, I wonder if a trade like that is available. I, I obviously don't yeah. know whether whether someone's yeah. completely infatuated with one of those forwards, of course. I'll, I'll push back there a little bit because I, I'm not 100% sure that's the, the best move. I mean, it all depends on what the what the actual trade is. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you go get Uolevi or Chikrin or Sergeyev, uh you know they're not in the league next year. They're yeah. not. I mean, they may not be in the league in two years from now. Right. So you're talking about this oldest rebuild that they need to say. You know that's continued to need a defenseman, and you know is it really going to help if the guy gets there in three years from now? This is what happened when they took Darnell Nurse. Yeah. Um. I believe it was three. It was three summers ago, mm-hmm. and you know, and he's just now in the league. And he's just now starting to become, he was still kind of up and down in his rookie year. And I think Uolevi, Chikrin are better players, are better prospects than Nurse was as a prospect. So it may not take as much time. The point being is that those guys are not absolute elite blow you away prospects, that they're going to be top four defensemen within the next three years, or at least likely not going to be. So. If you're the Oilers, is that really the key to your rebuild? 
I'm not sure that taking Pachaca fourth overall is a key either when you look at that depth chart. I, I think you'd have to look at this team and say, this is ever going to be a team with this core, that the core of McDavid, Hall, Nugent Hawkins, Eberle, Nurse, Clefbaum. If that's, if that's ever going to be something real, that's enough young pieces where you got to start filling in the gaps right there with, with maybe trading for some older guys and guys that can fill in the roster spots in your depth chart because this team is really lacking in depth. I'm not saying that taking you a levy or Chikrin or, or Kachuk is a bad move, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure that solves their problem next year. I'm not sure it solves them two years from now. Yeah, I mean, I think Kachuk's probably the only one who could reasonably make, play in the NHL next year outside of the big three, mm-hmm. but I don't think he'd be you know, a substantial asset or addition to that, to that roster at the very beginning right. either. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay, I want to ask you something because you've also written about the uh, the quote unquote Russian factor, both from the uh, from the angle of the sort of long existing concerns that the players either won't come over to North America or when they do, they'll wind up going back anyways. And of course, there's also like the most recent development about a bunch of the players on the U18 team testing positive for meldonium. So I guess it, it probably won't impact the stock of a guy like German Rubstaff, for example, who you really like and you have 13th on your rankings. And I think that every every sort of mock draft I've looked that or, or ranking set has him in that 15 to 20 range but do you think the other there's other russian players that uh you know if they you know complete vacuum if you just looked at their skill sets would go much higher than they're actually going to wind up going in this draft well yeah i mean we look i looked at this in a column and it was you know it's it's humorous that the russian factor is simultaneously overrated and underrated depending on what angle you're looking at it from right it's it's overrated for the very, very best players. The very, very best Russians come over almost all the time. You know, it's very rare, even in the case of guys like Tarasenko and Kuznetsov, who took some extra time but still came over eventually. You know, it's, I've never heard of a guy who has basically not tried to play in the NHL. We obviously know the cases like Radulov and Zherdev and Perezhogin, who came over and then left. And... Really, you know, you know, in the case of Terry Jogan, he wasn't that great. But in Zherdev and Radulov, they were good players, and that hurt. Mm-hmm. But in most cases, they 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 come over, and if they're good, they stay, and if they're not so good, they leave. But then that's a key distinction for why it can be underrated, is that outside of the very very best players, uh, the rest of them don't come over, and for understandable reasons. They're probably they're not getting paid huge dollars in the KHL, but they're being paid better than they would get in the American League. And those late round guys tend to be the guys who fill your American League roster. Not always. I mean, we always see people always talk about you know the 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 guys who hit in the sixth round, but most of the time that's those are your death players. Right. And you're you're those guys in Russia don't come over to be a death player. They come the guys who are in the American League right now, which are Vlad Kamenev, who was a second rounder by Nashville. And was a uh, one of the best players, the Will Juniors. You know, he's going to try and be. He might be in the NHL next season. And Thomas Lepichev was in the NHL to start the season with the Oilers. Um, and it might be Andre Vasilevsky was in the NHL this season. He's with, with Tampa Bay right now. And you're kind of getting the point I'm making. I think there was like one or two of the Russians in the AHL all season. Right. And those guys are not going to come over unless I think they have a reasonable shot at the National Hockey League. So you see, actually, that. Over the first 50 or 60 picks, guys who are Russians born in Russia tend to significantly outplay their draft, their draft pick value. Mm-hmm. And guys picked after that tend to significantly underperform their draft pick value. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you get the rare guy who comes over who's a good player, but if they're a third pairing, fourth line NHL, or even they're still not coming over. Yeah, because because their roster spot is too tenuous, and you know if they if they get waived, they're just going to leave. So yeah. well, that. The thing that I wonder about is like we we hear all this talk about how you know teams are becoming more progressive and willing to take chances on guys, but then you watch last year, for example, like a guy like Kirill Kaprizov falls all the way to the fifth round, and I'm pretty sure that uh, you know a lot of teams would like to do that all over again because a lot of guys were taken in the meantime that don't really have any NHL future, I'd say. Yeah, Kaprizov was interesting because he wasn't incredibly strong at the end of a team tournament mm-hmm. and then he was one of the best K-2017 I've ever seen yep. and I'm not sure if he was hurt or sick during the major under team tournament that was in April but he just looked, looked like a completely different player really much to start the season and I, I bet on him and I think I had him in the top 60-ish something like that just because yep. of how yeah, strong he was in the KHL yep. yeah and it was just because you know, you couldn't I couldn't ignore that, but just because he that was he didn't consistently show that everywhere he went, I was hedging a little bit. Mm-hmm. And now, obviously, you know, with a strong World Juniors and just an incredible performance, I mean, he was one of he was I think he was an All Star. Yeah, he led his team in scoring. Yeah, yeah, you know, he was just I mean, his team sucked, but it was still <laughs> it's still an accomplishment for an eighteen year old. Yeah, uh, yeah and, no, it was just incredible and. I mean, Minnesota is obviously, you know, they're, they're dancing right now about it, but, uh, I mean, they, they, when I, when I talked to them, when I talked to basically people around that organization, I mean, right after the draft, they, you know, they thought they liked them, but they didn't see this coming. Yeah. So, you know, it, it was interesting. Uh, and I think, I think the, the and I do think the organizations tend to only draft Russians who they think are really going to be NHL players, whoever could, who could be that top six, top four, variety mm-hmm. but in general that my point was just like if a guy isn't a real top end prospect he's a substantial risk to take mm-hmm. just because you don't you only have seven picks and you've got to fill out that AHL roster and you don't want to be just blowing it on guys who will never have a shot to come over and I can think Prizov is an example of a guy who who I think you could have made a reasonable argument for mm-hmm. but I've seen a long list of Russians where you pick saw them go and you're like that guy has no chance yeah. or such a small chance and that's a pick gone and you know it's not going to kill your organization but it, you know then you know you get injured and you want you look down the roster and you've got a 32 year old journeyman and you've got a call up and you probably can look at examples over the year over the league where that's happened. Yeah, yeah, and and that stuff sort of accumulates, right? Um, okay, one one final kind of big macro topic before we let you go, and and I wanted to pull back the curtain just a little bit. I don't, obviously, I don't want you divulging all your secrets, of course, but I'm just wondering, like, what the process is for. Um, putting together your rankings like this in terms of obviously you'd like to see all these guys as much as possible particularly live but it's just not logistically possible for one person there's only 24 hours in a day and there's so many prospects that you can't so you kind of have to rely on your sources and and kind of uh soliciting information from other people and and so on and so forth and obviously there's a statistical component to it but i'm just kind of wondering how you put together this puzzle of all these different sort of sources into making your one final ranking uh, it's a very, it's a very uh, time demanding process. Spans, you know, I'm already started 2017 right now. We'll probably have our first 2017 piece up within the next uh, two weeks. Um, but in terms of the the in terms of getting the the, the finished product ready, 
um, that's, you know, you you basically have to work at it every day. It's, you know, you can't, you know, com- competently try and analyze a draft class if you're not working at it every day. Mm. Uh, and that could be everything from literally driving out to a game to going just talking to people to doing research to reading news. You have to be on top of it all the time. I probably check um, every CHL box score every night. And I check every European league every every day. I check most of the major college teams. I check most of the Amer- of the. I check, and I'm tracking the USHL particular guys. I'll be checking that probably two or three times a week just to stay on top of stuff. So you see how they're progressing, and with, if anything really arises, in terms of actually getting the information, um, I try to get out to you know, many, as many live games as I can. And I watch, I'll watch a lot of video on, you know, days when there are no games for me to, for me to get to, or, you know, for me, I live in the East. So I I focus on video a lot to get the Western guys. Mm -hmm. Uh, I talk to a lot of NHL people too, just to balance my opinion off them or to hear what they have to say. It's helpful for gossip too, that may not appear directly in my columns. But are things that I'm keeping in the back of the, my mind are just things that are going on in players' lives or around teams that are not so important for the player evaluations, but are good things to know to have in the context. Uh, and like I said, it's really much an everyday process. I would probably say the final draft ranking thing I start, the first words I'd probably start around January. Mm-hmm. That's when I start, I start writing the column, and it gets published usually around mid-May. And you probably, I probably work on it about in half an hour to an hour every day from that point on, and right after the World Juniors ends. Yep. And you just keep chipping away. And the the and here's what I will say, and I think it's a very this is probably an important point for what you were trying to get at, is that the information collecting and the ranking are mm-hmm. two different processes. Right. Uh, in my opinion, they're two different skills. Um. You know, I just find what I just say was information collecting, which is just, you know, you know, pure, you know, just elbow grease, just, just putting as many hours as you can to get as much information as you can. And I have I have pretty much, I uh, used to write down notes on paper, but like from the last few years, every game I go to, it goes into the laptop. Uh, I, have, I have like, you know, spreadsheets that span like in thousands of thousands of columns of just, of notes on all the players, and I get and I get all that from whether it's my interactions or from watching the games, and then when I put the rankings together, it's still a lengthy process, but it's a different lengthy process because you know you can't just you know say oh he's fifth and he's sixth and he's seventh. You have to like go through them one by one, and you basically go you know A versus B, then A versus C, A versus D, A versus E, and so on and so forth until the puzzle comes together, and then sometimes you'll just like kind of go. B versus D and just ra- and random ranks just to make sure you haven't tricked yourself. Because I think the, e- the easier ranks to do for me are the guys who play in the same league or even easier are the guys who play on the same team, whether on, whether in the juniors or in international tournaments. Um, it's why, you know, people kind of mock the, 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 the tournaments of short sample sizes. But for me, the, the world juniors, the U18s, uh, those are incredibly invaluable tournaments. It's why I stressed, uh, to, to ESPN, you know, we have to be there because those things matter so much for the evaluations. Because just to find some way to size guys up um, versus 
you know, guys who are playing across the world and across the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very valuable just to get that context because when those other junior leagues, sure, you can use points, but you're missing critical things. You're missing uh, shooting percentages, at least now in the OHL finally solved that problem. <laughs> WHL finally, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. You're missing quality of competition. Uh, some CHL researchers I've said have looked at this and who have really diligently tracked it think that shot quality is a little bit more of an effect in junior than the NHL. So not dramatic, not dramatically, but uh, still some a little bit more of an effect. So you have to keep all this stuff in mind. And not to mention that these players only still play 50 or 60 games. So there's still sample size issues, it doesn't matter what. So, but being able to just literally just scout a guy, him versus the other guy, playing the same ship on the same line or on the same team, helps you really size guys up. So you know that that helps in the evaluation process. The harder rankings to do with the guys are the guy is the 19 year old playing in Europe versus the 17 year old playing in high school. Right. I mean, you know, you know, you know, you're just trying to find inklings of comparison points whether it was a tournament they were in or something that makes you say, I like this guy a little bit more than the other guy, whether it's, you know, it was just a, um, this guy performed very well. And I think that was slightly more impressive than him. You know, then you're really reaching and it gets really nitty gritty. And it's by, you know, in my rankings, you know, if you want to argue the 45th guy shouldn't be above the 65th guy, right. you know, I'll disagree, but I'll say, you know, if you, if you present a reasonable argument and there usually are several, that's fine. It's, but it's why I do say that the ranking is a very particular skill because you've got to put all these variables into a pool and balance them all. And it takes a long time to do. I mean, it's, I probably have reviewed those rankings hundreds of times and you change little things every here and there because you just tilt your head to the left and you say, oh, I maybe you shouldn't look at it from a perspective. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's why I think, uh, you know, it's good that NHL teams have like 10, 20 guys going through these processes. They have things called cross-checkers, which is basically what means it's cross-checking somebody's opinion to make sure that they aren't out of their mind. Uh, and just to basically get a second look. Right. So, because second opinions matter, of course, there's, also, there's obviously issues of group think too, but point being is that um, getting the ranking down is a skill that takes a while to get at, and it's really just a skill of experience and learning which variables matter the most, especially when there's a lot of stuff like scouting that's hard to get data on to know exactly what the exact value on. But we all been around long enough to know that there's a lot there and it's just about the proper balance of everything. And that's a very long winded answer to your question. <laughs> I mean, I could, I could, I could keep going, yes. but it, to just sum up a lot of this stuff just requires work and experience and careful thinking and looking for evidence of trends. That's basically what my job comes down to in getting all this done. Well, the, the one thing I'm curious, and it's the final thing, and I promise I'll let you go, is that the from the statistical component of it, because this, this is the hockey PDO cast, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are wondering, like, it does seem that some of these major junior leagues, there's very little actual concrete information for you to judge these players on. Like, is there certain things that you're looking for out of these guys in terms of their statistical resumes? Obviously, taking into account the quality of competition and guys they're playing with and relative ages and 
stuff because like I look at a guy like Alex Debrinkat, I, I saw the stat where he had one fewer five on five goal than Matthew Kachuk at five on five primary points and and Kachuk is going to be a, a top five pick it seems like and the former is probably going to fall into the 20s and obviously you know the, you, you get into the tools and the size and how it's going to translate to the NHL level but there is this statistical component to it and you got to have to kind of weigh all those things right right and there are two things that I kind of brought up before when you asked me about it. Uh, there is the, the numbers that you have available to you through the public offerings. Mm-hmm. And then there's what I refer to as scouting data. Uh, it's stuff that I get through my observations that to me is quantifiable um, information. It's just not something that appears in a box. score. And I'll address both of those things. One, um, because there are so many issues in terms of uh, the lack of information, uh, the first thing I will usually focus in on uh, before I even get to what the actual player's scoring was was how strong of the team was, how strong of the team was he on, and where did he uh, rank within the caliber of that team. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the case of the Brinkett and Kachuk, you know, they're actually very similar answers. They were both on very strong teams, and they were both probably, you know, the second, third, fourth best player on that team. Mm-hmm. So it was, actually, it was actually quite comparable, although obviously London was better. Uh, they, they won a Memorial Cup, and they were definitely the deserving champion in, of that. Of that. Uh, in terms of the actual stats, I focus, primary points is important to me, shots are important to me, uh, Obviously, the scoring is, is, isn't relevant, but I mean, these aren't exactly novel concepts. I am very happy that the OHL added shots this year. It definitely helped add a layer to, to just getting some more information that we didn't have before. Uh, I mean, it wasn't, I mean, I used shots as a basis for my high Daniel Sprong ranking. I think I had him in the mid teens last year. And I'm not saying he's going to be a all world killer, but the fact he's already played NHL games, I think he was like around, he had around four or five shots a game, and it's, Q-season. That's just a little bit of extra information that you have that just shows some sort of trend that's helpful. Uh, and now let me get to the other part. That part's put on all that informative for your, for your listeners. Uh, and that's the scouting data. That's me looking for two particular things. One is usage. I track usage, not you know incredibly deliberately, but I, I watch it. I'm watching who, who the matchups are. I'm watching how much power play time is getting. I'm watching how much PK time the guy is getting. And then it's adding information to me that is not publicly available. It's like tracking ice time and quality of competition. And obviously I can't get a comprehensive look at that over the entire season. But if you zero in on guys, you get a feel for where they are within a team very quickly if you just see them for a couple of games. Mm-hmm. And that's something I put right into, right into my database. And that's something I will pull up throughout the course of the year just to keep in mind, you know, where was, what, was, what was this guy's primary responsibilities how did he fit into the makeup of this good, average, bad team? And you put all that together. And the other part is what I talked about before, is where does the guy match up relative to other players? If the guy's on the same team, if the guy's on the same line, if the guy's playing the same tournament together, I'm writing all that down. And I'm typically writing, you know, where uh, exactly how good they were. Did they outplay another guy for ice time during a camp or during, throughout the tournament? And that is small sample size. You got to keep it in perspective. But when you're trying to put that puzzle together, that's a very important data. That over my years, I found 
has had significant predictive value. Not perfect. There's definitely been many examples where that hasn't happened. Uh, but, I mean, you can make examples. What was one that I kicked myself over? Oh, yeah, Curtis Lazar. Mm-hmm. Um, Curtis Lazar, in his draft here at the Holinka, uh, played his way up onto the top line of Canada's Holinka team, which, for those who are uninformed, is, a, is usually a superstar team of prospects. You know, there's always, like, you know, 10 to 15 first-rounders on that team. I'm, I'm only slightly exaggerating. Uh, and, you know, then he came up the next the season, and a 50-game sample, he had, like a, he had a very crappy point total. Mm-hmm. And there obviously were scouting reasons you could have taken Lazar in the first round. But if you want to make a statistical argument, that scouting data I got, based on how he basically aligned himself on the team and where he was ranked on that Holinka team in terms of his role and responsibility to me was what it would have been a statistical argument for Lazar that wouldn't have shown up in the box sheet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, hey, Corey, uh, thanks for uh, thanks for doing all this work for us so that uh, so that we don't have to we appreciate it. Uh, I d- highly recommend uh, checking out all the work Corey does behind the uh, it, it is behind the ESPN paywall. But uh, with himself and friend of the podcast, Craig Cussins doing great work there. It's uh, it, it's a must read for all hockey fans. So um, I'll let you go now. I'm sure you have a lot of work to do. And just remember to, to have some meals here and there and stay hydrated during this entire process. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good day. Yeah. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey